couple of weeks ago, Jason um, spoke from Acts chapter 9. And he talked about encounter brings transformation. And he talked about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus pursuing the church. And all of a sudden, in his pursuit of destroying the church, for quenching the message that was being carried by the disciples, he was encountered by the living God. He was encountered by Jesus. And Jesus posed him that question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the goads? Why do you do this? And there was this blinding light. He was blinded. And like Jason said, there were other guys in the area that were with him who heard something, but it never penetrated them at all. And yet from that moment, there was change. Paul was a man who, if anybody had any confidence in their own ability, in their own righteousness, in their own um, knowledge, their own wisdom, if there was anybody who had any of those things, he was stacked with it till it was coming out of his ears. His own reference to himself goes like this if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless can you believe that anybody would have the audacity make that statement righteousness under the law blameless but then he goes on and says but whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord he goes on then to say about not having a righteousness of his own, but relying through faith in Christ, that righteousness that comes from God. That makes him the man he is. All. He counts everything as loss, rubbish, dung, mess, compared to knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. He surrendered on that, at that time to the Lordship of Christ. And... If I was going to read, you can read the, the thing for yourself. It's not that I'm not wanting to. You can put it up on the screen, uh, if you will. Um, I, was, I actually was praying, and I was saying to the Lord this week, I said to somebody last week, I'm praying for a word of breakthrough. 
I want to, I just feel we need a breakthrough. And I said to them, I'm not going to preach for Max this week. I said, I'm just praying for a breakthrough. And then I read the passage just because I was praying and getting nowhere. And I wasn't getting any amazing word from God. I read the passage and something hit me in this passage. And I believe it can, it can deliver breakthrough. It can deliver breakthrough for you. You might be facing circumstances with your health. You might be facing circumstances with your finance. You might be fighting against habitual sin that seems to have taken over your life. And try as you may, you can't shake it. But this is a word of breakthrough for you. And it's not because I'm anything special, because the one thing that I have become so aware of this week is how weak, how weak that I am as a man. I can't boast in my own flesh. I can't even boast as Paul boasts. I can't. But I know that this is a word of breakthrough. Whatever you are facing this morning. I'm only going to speak really from one verse. And it's verse 31 in chapter 9. And it says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And was being built up. And here's the word of breakthrough. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord. When I went to Camborne 13 years ago, it wasn't long after we'd started, somebody came up to Liz and myself and said to us, they said, have you tried Mr. B's ice cream? Apparently it was famous in Cornwall. We said, no, we haven't. And they said, well, there's a Mr. B's shop and it's a good Sunday afternoon out. You go down and you, get, you queue up and buy your ice cream and the ice cream is worth the wait. So off we trot on Sunday afternoon down to Hale, which is only probably eight miles from where we were living in Camborne. Went, found the shop, and when we got there, there was a queue outside the door, and you had to queue up. It was a small shop. It wasn't huge. It wasn't dramatic. You know, it was none of those things. It was just a shop that would have driven past like we had many times, not even taken any notice of it. But on this Sunday afternoon, there was a queue outside, so we joined the queue. And it moved slowly in. It was difficult, actually, for one person to go in as one person came out. That's how small it was, really. And by the time you've got a couple of families with children hanging on that glass screen, looking at the tubs of ice cream, making their mental choices of what they were going to have, right? You know, it took maybe 15, 20 minutes to get inside the door. And then if you're like me, I'm okay if there's maybe one or two choices, but 
stick 40 choices of ice cream in front of me and I'm stuffed. You know, I don't know what to choose. Anyway, I made my choice. I can't remember exactly what it was. It'll probably be cinder toffee or something like the crunchy taste or even Ferrio Rocher or maybe it was bubblegum flavour. Who knows? They're just a few, you know, of the flavours. Mars bar flavour, you name it, they had it. And we took our ice cream. And what was even better was you didn't just have to have one flavour on your cone. You could have a two-scoop cone and you could have a scoop of more than one flavour. And if you were really risky, you could get tubs of ice cream from two scoops to five scoops. And if you got the five scoop, you could have five flavours in your tub. You might be thinking... Dave, you just talked about the fear of the Lord. What on earth is Mr. B's ice cream? Because this week I was reminded as I thought and I reflected on that situation as I was thinking about what I was, how I was going to put this together this morning. That's a bit like how Christianity has become over the years in our country. In fact, it's not so much Christianity. We don't even really talk about Christianity anymore. We talk about spirituality Because spirituality is not offensive to anybody, is it? Let's be honest. I can talk about my spirituality. You can talk about yours. I I can be right with me and you can be right with you because it's your spirituality. It's just about how you deal with spiritual things. But the Bible says something completely different. God isn't interested in your spirituality. He's interested in whether you're a sinner or not. That's what he's interested in. He wants to know, is he king and master of your life and my life? That's what he wants to know. He's not interested in your spirituality, whether it be joss sticks, melon away, and all the other 40. I've learned where I've just moved to. There are something like, what was it, 46 or 48 different religions in Glastonbury. I didn't know there were that many religions. But God isn't interested in our spirituality. He's interested in where are we with him. Because you see, if we don't come to him, if we don't bow our knee to him, if we do not come before him and recognize that our lives miss the mark, which is sin, then what happens is we will just travel along for the rest of our days being quite happy, doing some spiritual thing, but missing, missing the point completely. Jesus didn't come for 48 different spiritualities and religions. He came because the world was gripped in sin. That's why he came. Mr. B's ice cream, I believe, is a modern day picture. It's not a parable, but it's a modern day picture of the state of our our nation, if nothing else. But unfortunately, I've got to say, it's also the state sometimes of the church. Have you ever noticed... There are two things. Everything that happens, 
everything that happens is to bring glory to God. God has one goal in life, and that is to bring glory to himself through revealing himself to the world. How does God reveal himself to the world? Through creation? Yes. But also through those who follow him. Through those who follow him. If we'd gone back to the 1950s, and I never ever thought I would preach something like this, so, but I was, in fact, I was only born at the end of the 50s, all right? 59, in November, the 23rd, if you want to write it in your diary. <laughs> but I only just got in to the 50s to say I was a 50s child. But if I went back to the 50s, there was... Whether people like to say, oh, it was legalism, there was a fear of the Lord within the body of Christ. It wasn't this wishy-washy mess that we see and that we hear declared and we hear preached so often that everything, absolutely everything, anything's all right. We change the truth of the Bible to suit ourselves, to make it easier to talk about Jesus to people. You see, we, there is something in us which I believe isn't bad. We want people to come to Jesus. It's just that we get a bit afraid about saying what that actually means and what is required for that to take place. And so what we do is we change the gospel. We talk about how God is inclusive, and he is. God is inclusive. He loves everybody. But just because he's inclusive and he loves everybody does not mean that he will not punish sin. I wrote these words, does Jesus love his father's creation? Yes, he does. Does Jesus hang out with, the religi- with those who the religious wouldn't? Yes, he does. Does Jesus forgive people for their sins? Yes, he does. Is Jesus inclusive? Yes, he is. He touched lepers. He mixed with prostitutes. He mixed with sinners. In fact, that was the one thing that was total... Um, The Pharisees hated about him. Does Jesus compromise the truth to make things easier for people? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And there's the challenge. You know, Jason and I went to a training day for ministers on Wednesday this week and I found it really really helpful he talked about how the th- about a theology of mission and that in God God is the source of mission God is the source he is out to bring glory to himself by revealing who he is he then talked about how God brings glory to himself and it's through the proclamation side and through deeds And then he put his two hands, and I haven't got a microphone stand, so if you lose my voice, forgive me. He put his two hands out like this. Proclamation 
No, we'll call this one deeds, proclamation. And he says, nobody gets offended in this side, the deeds side. Not one person will get offended. Not one. Christians, non-Christians, it doesn't matter whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or whoever you are. No one gets offended by doing good deeds. Because somewhere in all of us, we believe that that should be the way we live. We try and help people. We try and get alongside people. But the moment proclamation happens, everybody gets offended. Everybody the same people that love you for the deeds begin to dislike you for the proclamation. And what do we do so often is this. We leave the deeds right out there and we dial down on the proclamation because we don't want it to be uncomfortable for anybody. And I want to say to you, we cannot do that. We cannot do that. The reason, I can tell you, I was so selfish as a young man that I wouldn't even do the deeds unless Jesus had touched my life. I was only interested in me. Me. I was the center of my own universe. I wouldn't do the Deeds without Jesus. I wasn't even, in one sense, as good as many people are who aren't Christians today, who will serve and serve and serve. I just wouldn't have done it. Because it wasn't me. I was just interested in me. But what I notice now is I do deeds because I love Jesus. And I love people. God's given me a love for people that I never had before. But what I notice is the moment I want to talk about Jesus, I meet opposition. And it doesn't matter how gentle I am. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes you almost want to become a universalist. Everybody's going to heaven just to make it easy for people to become part of the kingdom of God. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says. Unless we're born again. Unless we come via Jesus. Unless he is the way, the truth and the life in our lives. We're on our way to hell. And I'm sorry to use that word in one sense. Because people even in church don't like it that much. So what does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? Do you know, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but I am wanting to say to you what I read to you from C.S. Lewis is true. God is not safe. He's good, but he is not safe. He will put up with many things. He will withhold his judgment. He is continually withholding the final judgment of all to give people the opportunity to come to him. And the reality is that God 
hates the unrepentant sinner. The word of God says so. And we find that really difficult. We need to realize if we're going to fear the Lord, because that is the key to breakthrough. Fear of the Lord. In Proverbs, it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom books were written, Proverbs was written so that someone who reads it can know how to live life in a wise and sensible way. We need to recognize that the beginning, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So God, the first thing we need to do is to remember that God is both loving but just. We must recognize that God is loving, merciful and forgiving, but he is also holy, just and righteous. Knowing God and understanding his character means accepting the truth that his purity, perfection, completeness and separation from evil will cause him to judge sin. And I'm not just talking about the final day, but when we sin now, if we lived in the fear of the Lord, we would keep ourselves from sin. We would. Stephen Cole makes this point very clear when he says, in our quest to know the living and true God, it is important to know him as he has, been, as he has revealed himself in the totality of his word. If we just pick up and choose the parts about God we like, such as his love and his grace, and ignore the rest, we miss something important that we need to know about God for our spiritual growth. Do you want to grow in God? Do you want to have a deeper connection with God, a deeper relationship with him? Do you want your life to be fruitful? Then what we need to do as people is to learn the fear of the Lord. He goes on to say, so people who believe in a God of love but not a God of judgment, hear this, are making a golden calf. They're not submitting to God's revelation in the Bible, but setting themselves up as a judge over the Bible. We need to embrace the whole of God's character and understand that we are serving a holy, holy God. And I think we treat glibly that whole concept of God's holiness So we row with one another. We fall out. We come into the kingdom or we come into church on a Sunday morning. We raise our hands. We can jump and we can shout at the top of our voices. We can let hullabaloo go in this place. While all the time I've got hatred in my heart. I've fallen out with my wife. I'm angry with her. And yet I'll do the hallelujah, glory, shabba, shabba, and all the rest. I'll do the lot. And I know that my relationships are wrong. I don't remember which, I think it might be James this comes from. 
Salt water and fresh water cannot come from the same spring. Doesn't happen. God is loving and just. The fear of the Lord can produce awe. There are so many times in Scripture where when God manifests himself, it isn't that they have a shindig about it, they fall to the floor as though they were dead. God's almighty presence coming into a place and people's sinfulness is revealed because the light is so strong you can't hide the darkness. You just can't hide it. You have Isaiah who talked about, do you remember when he was in the temple? He goes, I'm ruined when God turned up. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. Daniel fell down as a dead man. John fell down as if dead. When God turns up, sometimes God does us a favor when he doesn't turn up. You ever thought of that? He does us a favor. If he allowed the fullness of his presence to come into the room, we would cry out to him for mercy. We should be in awe of a God who is that holy. We should be careful how we deal with him. Remember Adam and Eve who walked with God in the cool of the day and conversed with him when they sinned, when God next turned up, they didn't rush into the room to have a praise meeting with him. They went and hid themselves. They hid themselves. Oh, God is awesome. I'm not surprised that the psalmist says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all, all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. As we contemplate the enormity of God, it should produce in us an awe and a wonder. The psalmist again, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Our God is an awesome God. Fear of the Lord can produce faith because you can run away from the fear of the Lord. When the fear of the Lord comes, it's not always bite your nails. If it becomes awe and it becomes faith, then you, you, I'm not saying that you feel always comfortable in his presence, but nevertheless, there is something there and it produces faith and trust in him alone for salvation. And so, the fear of the Lord can produce faith. It can produce awe. God is both loving and just. And I've already made the point, but I want to remind you, God is angry about sin. Fear of God involves us recognizing that he is angry about sin. 
This is something that we seriously struggle with. And I understand that. Because I still have a sinful nature. I had a meltdown this week. Just a small one. I moved finally into the house that I've been waiting nearly six months for. Thank God. But the day that we took possession was stressful. And I can't remember my exact words, but they weren't godly, all right? Or that's all I can tell you. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say I met a parent of somebody in this church, and I made a statement that once I knew that they were a parent of someone in this church, I was thinking, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Which my wife so lovingly pointed out to me. I strode up the street from the sales office and met the people that we were meeting. And my first words were, I want to kill him. (laughs) I understand that we struggle with sin. But I want to remind you what God said to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is toward you. In other words, it wants to have you. But you must rule over it. We must rule over it. Taking on board a genuine understanding of fearing God and living in the fear of the Lord will keep us from sin. And it forms the whole basis of our sanctification. Now, sanctification is a word which is a technical term for transformation in my book. Turning us into the likeness of Jesus. Forming in us and conforming us to the likeness of his son Jesus. Which John Stott in his 90s, in his last sermon, I think he was 93, he told people at the Keswick Convention that after all those years of preaching, he's come to the conclusion that everything is about becoming like Jesus. Everything is fashioned that way. But it's not just fear of the Lord, so don't want you to just go away with a sense of, oh my goodness. But there's also walking in the comfort of the Spirit. You can't talk about the fear of the Lord without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. To do so just destroys people. But when you realize that it's a two-fold thing, that God doesn't leave us in a place where all we've got is fear. He has given us, if we've come to, to Jesus in absolute honesty and we have come and laid our lives before him we've acknowledged our sin we've asked him to forgive us for missing the mark because sin isn't about the fruit it's just simply about missing the mark and I don't know about you but I miss the mark an awful lot right some of the stuff that happens in my life is fruit it's not the sin the basic core concept of sin is we've missed the mark we haven't come up to the right place and and when we come and we're honest with God and we truthfully come before him and we turn from our own way and we turn and say to him heavenly father we want to just come 
come now and we want to ask you to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness and free us to live after you as you would have us live. I want to tell you, God sends his Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, and I, Jesus, will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Liverpool fans, if you watch football at all, at some point in most matches will sing, we will never walk alone. And if we have come to Jesus, that is true for us. It's true for us. The Greek word for Holy Spirit in all these verses is parakletos, meaning the one who is called to our side. John 15, 26, do you remember abiding in the vine? But when the comforter is come, I will send to you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father. He will testify of me, and you will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Here in Acts 9.31, the comfort of the Holy Spirit refers to the encouragement that is available to us because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. The idea is that the Holy Spirit will exhort us, earnestly support us, and encourage us. We walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit when we recognize the fact that God has given us a helper to always be on our side. Through the Spirit, we receive constant assurance that we are God's children, Romans 8, 16. We are strengthened in our inner being, Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And when we do not know how to pray, Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit will give us power and wisdom to witness. He teaches us. The Holy Spirit reveals to us deep mysteries of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. Probably one of the hardest things I'm going to say to you today is this. We can walk free from sin's control when we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We will never walk alone. We sang, as I said earlier, set a fire down in our soul. A fire that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. I hope and I pray, I genuinely do hope and pray, that that isn't just a song which is catchy that we sing, but a heartfelt, genuine reality of our desire. We come to communion.
Um, I don't know if someone can just go and let the kids know. So parents can bring their children back. I want you to hear this morning, I'm not, I'm not here wanting to batter or bruise anybody. I am just become so aware of how unless sometimes we stop and we reflect and we start to take account of where we've got to. But to be honest with you, sometimes we wonder why the power and the authority of God is not demonstrated. And there are reasons. And those reasons are simply, simply sometimes that we have become too familiar with God and we don't have a fear of God. But we can rectify that by coming before him, asking him to remind us afresh of how awesome he is, taking time. I know it sounds very mechanical to some people, Spending time in God's word. Asking ourselves, what does it mean when we read things instead of just reading it? It's not how much of the Bible you get through which is important. It's how much gets into you that's important. I am genuinely, I said when I came, that I'm praying that my last five years... I experience what I experienced in my first three. Because everything in between has not really been like that. I sense genuinely that there are people who want more of God. But there's always a cost to wanting more of God. It's are you willing to allow him to burn up the dross on the altar. If you are, I I can tell you, you will be consumed with love for him. You'll be consumed with passion. You'll want to tell everybody you meet about him and what he's done for you. And when you think of the price that has been paid for us, Anything less somehow doesn't quite work.